Welcome to the Beyond Success Podcast, a collection of conversations with the best business minds, captains of industry, and entrepreneurs in the world. Learn what their journey has taught them, how they applied the lessons they learned, and ultimately created six, seven, and even eight-figure businesses. We can't create successful businesses by ourselves, so sit back and let the Beyond Success Podcast be your mentor. Now, here's your host, author, entrepreneur, public speaker, and master money manifester, Daniel Mangana. Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. This is me, your host, Dan Mangana, where... We're very honored today to have a special guest, John, who uh, invited me to his podcast about, about two months ago from the point of recording. It was about two months ago that we that we, we recorded for your yeah, podcast, John, something like that. that. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was a fun conversation. <laughs> we'll pop the link to that in the show notes, but I'm really excited to introduce John to you. He's a badass entrepreneur, really, really cool guy, down to earth, and someone who you're going to love getting to know. So without further ado, John, why don't let the people know who you are and what it is you do? Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. It's good to meet your audience. And uh, yeah, so I have been in the learning and development space for uh, my entire career, pretty much. So uh, over 20 years uh, and really working on both sides of that with large companies who are tasked with training their thousands of employees um, using technology and content, obviously, together. And on the other side, which has always been my passion, working with the thought leaders, authors, professional speakers. Speakers, uh, really those subject matter experts out there who have that great content. And I feel like probably the, the purpose of my career mostly has been to source that great content from those, those excellent subject matter experts, help them digitize it in, in one form or another, and then get it in the hands of those corporate educators who really have the responsibility of upskilling and reskilling, reskilling their, their thousands of employees. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So what we're really doing is we're, we're giving people the power to get the most out of the people that, that are in their team so that they can serve their audiences, serve their customers at the highest level. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I've been really focused on for the last several years has been really this concept of the fourth industrial revolution and the fact that with the with the the nature of artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, that there are estimated to be 85 million current jobs displaced by artificial intelligence and automation. And so now that puts us in corporate, in, in the corporate space, in this difficult situation of saying, hey, we have a lot of people who at the rate technology go, is going and it's been sped up considerably due to the pandemic. Um, Mm-hmm. This is coming. New technology is coming. New ways to get things done in the workplace, and certain jobs are more um, will be impacted by this more than others. But it's really looking at your current workforce and saying, how do we help this next generation of workers get the skill sets that they most need, so that they're not displaced, but yet they can fill those prospective ninety-five million new jobs that don't exist today. And that that's kind of the challenge that that I love to kind of really sink into now i mean one if there's one thing that i i feel that i've learned personally uh, in the face of this past year and a half of madness is you have to be flexible 
there there is no long term thing. You need to be ready to to kind of groove and shape with the way things map out because a lot of people have been trying to do things the same old way. A lot of industries have been battered and bruised by the the new normals that have evolved over this period of time. And unless you were ready to deal with that uncertainty and to step up and make changes, you were going to be left behind or just shut down. That's what we've seen. You know, is it millions of businesses have shut down that they're not going to open again? But much to your point, there are tens of millions of new jobs that are going to evolve from new economies that are going to be created, new industries that are going to be created. And it's those that are flexible enough to move with the times that are going to stay alive, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's true. The the companies, every time you go through a, a big shift like this, and certainly I, I say I, my business has been in um, on-demand learning. So, you know, I, my first company was a, a learning management system, subscription software business, and it was always not live like we do with Zoom and go to meeting and mm-hmm. Microsoft Teams, but on-demand e-learning courses. And there was always demand for that. There was always a need for it. It always had a, a spot in the training department. But mm-hmm. in the last year or now going on a year and a half, the demand has gone through the roof because people mm-hmm. realize that this is one of those things that you can do effectively online through an application. And what that should do is free up a lot of time for our trainers to be able to focus on what are the most important things to do live synchronously with with an mm. individual and and so it, it does every time something like this happens it, you look at it and you say okay well the businesses who pivot and figure out that hey this is an opportunity not not an obstacle there's there's a lot of open doors that you know particularly right now i think a lot of companies are seeing that mm. So what's some of the pushback that you've had um, from people that really don't understand, not that don't understand, people that aren't ready to step up and actually make the changes that are going to be uh, essential to staying ahead of the game, increasing market share, staying alive in business? Uh, are there people that have just been completely resistant to the idea of, 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 of actually you know, training and skilling and the, the, the services that you're offering them? Yeah. And I, and I think to your point, it's, there was a time and, and again, I started my software company um, to deliver um, online training and we were doing video training. Uh, one of the first systems to do it back in, we started in 2002. So it was even before YouTube, it was a huge challenge then. And, and your point, people didn't understand it then. They didn't believe it. They didn't know that it could work. There was a world when I I was in that it was CD-ROM based training and DVDs. And to think that you could do this online effectively um, and, and while everyone was doing instructor-led training in a classroom, there was there were a lot of detractors who said it's not effective. Um, people are going to skip through it and get credit, and you're you're never going to know that they really did it, or someone else is going to do the training for them. Uh, all of those fears and concerns over my 20 years doing it, they gradually faded away, and then in the last year or so disappeared entirely to the point that everybody sees that there, this is a valid way to develop your people through e-learning and through online asynchronous training. Um, but to the other side of your statement is 
people weren't ready for it. And and mm. I think the biggest challenge for us was there were a lot of people who were getting content ready. They may not have been using it. It may not have gotten full adoption yet, but the moment that the pandemic moved everyone remote, all of a sudden virtual learning went through the roof and people who were ready mm. for it, who had the content were in a great spot. Now, the problem is, well, it's a little bit of a challenge or it has been a challenge to produce new content because you can't get people in person into a studio comfortably until now. You know, we're starting to see people come back as we're recording this in the in the summer, getting back to normal. But still, there's this challenge where people say, well, I've, I've seen this new world. I want to do things remote. How is there an easier way to create good, immersive content without us having to travel somewhere, go into a studio, um, or just to do it more cost-effectively because the demand is there. And I think that that's where the challenge has shifted is coming up with new and innovative ways that are easy and cost-effective for anybody to capture their intellectual property, um, develop it into a course, and then easily deliver it to, to the people who need it most. Uh, and we've seen uh, much point about the people getting the bug of working remotely. And this is happening on both sides of the aisle. You've got employers that are like, because a friend of mine, for example, her husband has got a business that had offices in Manhattan. And he's like, I don't need offices in Manhattan anymore. Everyone, this has shown that everyone can work from home. So he's literally cut probably tens of thousands of dollars a month, right? From his, uh, his cost base because he's got everyone working from home. But then of course, people need to know what to do um, and how to make sure that they're maintaining efficiency and productivity working from home. And then you've got, you know, location-based businesses that do require people to, to come back. We've had people having to incentivize people to, to stop taking unemployment. We've seen a, a rush of now states dropping the unemployment benefits because people are actually better off collecting unemployment than actually going into work. So you've got all of this, um, all of these new dynamics, these new challenges that people have to face as a result of what's been happening with the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, people have gone remote. They've realized that you can effectively manage uh, your business remotely. It may not be the most comfortable situation for some businesses, but my company was based in New York City and no one was back in the office since the pandemic. And that, that location has been closed down at this point because oh, wow. everyone was effectively operating remote and New York City real estate is expensive. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of businesses like that, that said, well, we would have never thought of doing that. But mm-hmm. now that we've had to learn how to collaborate through Zoom and Slack and, and all the other tools we use, well, hey, is it worth getting back together? Is it a need? I, I think someone said to me before it was, you was this a meeting that I can effectively do in Zoom? And now the conversation is, is this a meeting that's worth being in person? And, you know, it's like you kind of your mind shift has has changed a little bit here because I do think that we're effective in a lot of ways remote, but it's hard to lead people remote. It's hard to build culture. It's hard to get teams to work together. I, I do a lot of speaking in this um, 
in this space, the learning development space and, and for HR organizations about exactly this. And, and we always run these polls and the number one concern, it's shifted as I've done talks throughout the, the pandemic months, the concerns in that, that have been the top vote getters, or I guess the, the top poll, uh, the highest polled items, it's changed throughout the, the pandemic. And today, or just, you know, this past month when I did some speaking and ran those same, those same polls, what is the number one concern is developing culture. And that's one of those things that you think, okay, we can get the job done remotely. Um, we could deliver training remotely, but can we teach people what, are, what our culture is all about, what our core values are? Yeah. Do they absorb a lot of that by being in your space and being around their, their peers and their coworkers? So I think that's a big challenge for businesses now is really being innovative about how do we build culture? How do we communicate and collaborate beyond just connecting through Zoom or Slack or Microsoft Teams, but making that connection at a deeper level when in a lot of cases, a lot of these companies, it's still going to be many, many months before they're all together again. And, you know, speaking about culture, there's a lot of um, changes that are going to need to happen in terms of how people connect. So, you know, as well as I do, the old adage that, you know, if you see something written down, be careful how you take it because you can't pick up the, the emotions of it. I have this with my wife all the time that she sent me messages sometime before I react. I make sure I hear what she has to say in the tonality. So even how we communicate, you know, making sure that we've got the right level of clarity, we're communicating things in, in writing in an effective way probably is something that people are going to need to get training and, and, and learn what to do. Yeah, hundred percent. And that, that's one of the things that I, think we all take for granted a little bit. I, I have a um, good friend who's a, a brilliant professional speaker and and she speaks about generational divides in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And um, her name is Anna Liata and, and it's great research that she's put together. And it's very much on this line where she talks about, you know, the way a, a Gen Z employee takes notes is very different mm. than the way a baby boomer takes notes. And you and and there's this divide or even just how you communicate. So like if you think um, if you're listening and you're in your 40s or 50s and you're sending a text to someone, you probably write a really long text bubble <laughs> and everything in your head. And then all you get back from like a, a, a 20 year old is a, a K. Right. And now, it's, now it's just a thumbs up. Right. So and and there's a subtlety to it where you send this really thoughtful text, because in our generational code, that's the way we communicate. And then the way they communicate is cool. I got it. Thumbs up. You know, that's it. They don't even say mm-hmm. the cool. I got it. It's just a thumbs up. And the first thing you're thinking is, well, was this not important enough? to respond in a large bubble, but they just don't communicate that way. So to your point, yeah, there's there's tone. There's also all these different styles of communication and almost being okay with that. And also understanding that it's kind of on each of us to adapt to the other person on the other side and their style and, and don't immediately attach some meaning to a communication style, but instead try to understand why they are different than than your generation might be. And I, I think that's fascinating to, to dive into now because we do so much more virtually through text, through messaging platforms. And 
everybody uses them. Every, every generation uses those a little bit differently. Mm. They use them differently. They understand them differently. It's been fascinating watching my parents really get with uh, technology. I remember before my mom didn't want all these complicated ass phones. She just wanted like a, a simple little Nokia. I think it was a Nokia 6110 was her phone of choice because it just did what she needed. She could do the texting, you know, the very simple lines of text. She could get her voicemail. And, and now I think she's a... I can't remember if she's Android or, or iPhone, my mum. But, um, but, you know, now we keep her updated with the latest thing because she likes to have, you know, the video calling with her grandkids and she likes to be able to do the Zoom stuff when we do little family get-togethers on Zoom and all of that. Uh, that wasn't so much even pandemic. My, my parents actually uh, retired back to Zimbabwe and they spend half the year in the UK and then they, they head off back to Africa for winter. And so they like to be able to have that connection. But, you know, it required being open to change, which I'd love you to speak to. And then, you know, finding the right support <laughs> in the face of being open to change. Because there's so many people that they're looking at these new normals, they're looking at these new opportunities, they're looking at this change, but they're not necessarily getting the best support to take advantage of that. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the, there's two sides to that, right? It's like being uh, able to adapt to that change, um, being accepting it. And, and I think we've seen a, a real acceptance at a much higher level, I think, in the past year than you would have ever expected with in normal technology mm-hmm. adoption. And I, I started mm-hmm. as a technology adoption consultant years ago. Uh, and and so I, I've studied that and then I've, and I've worked in that space for a long time. You, technology doesn't get adopted this quickly normally. But yes, we have a generation that has gotten very comfortable with video communications and all sorts of virtual communications, which they may never have needed to learn that. But that's a great opportunity now because we can connect at a deeper level. Everybody's much more comfortable and and accepting of lower quality video and audio mm. and you know things that you would have never accepted before would have frustrated you you know now it's kind of just we're all used to it we and and to your point about change you know something like this and it, you know this has impacted our society so much and now as we're getting back to normal i always like to ask people you know what is what is the one thing from, you know, during this pandemic that has changed and been, you know, altered and, and delivered differently that now that we're coming out of it, that you don't want it to go back to normal. What is something mm. that is so convenient or so efficient that you, we probably would have never gotten to it, or we would have gotten to it five years down the road when it got mass adoption. But like, so from, from my perspective, I absolutely love curbside pickup. And I think, mm-hmm. man, what a great innovation. Curbside pickup. <laughs> like, I don't even have to, I do it on the app. I don't even have to walk into the store. It's dropped right mm-hmm. in my right in my car. And, and you think, man, I know they're going to take that away. Any day now, it's mm-hmm. going to go away and you're going to just have to do regular takeout. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's things like that. And and so I, I, I think there's some silver linings from an adoption perspective on the technology side. But then with that, mm-hmm. it it brings some challenges, of course, that, that we're all going to start to see a little bit of, of right now, I would imagine. Mm, agreed, agreed, agreed. But, and who's going to be responsible for this? Like, who's going to be responsible? And I think it's up to the consumer 
to to kind of lay down the laws to what they want so that the otherwise choice is going to be going to be made about how they are going to be consuming going forward that doesn't really involve them as much right yeah and and for me i i really focus in the education space primarily corporate education not not so much um K through 12 and higher education. But I look at this this gap of knowledge. There's these skills gaps that need to be filled. And and it's it's just kind of a known issue that the things that you learn in college or university right now, by the time you get your job in the workforce, which could be four or five years from now, the technology changes so fast. It, it evolves so quickly that the things you learn about, I, I always, I, I always laugh when I talk to some of my employees who were marketing majors and I'm like, what did they teach you five years ago in school about marketing? Cause that has changed so dynamically in the, in these last five years, particularly with social media and, and search and everything. So I do think I look at it from a content perspective and say, we're in this great time where knowledge can be shared more easily than it could ever be shared before. And yet mm-hmm. We're also living in a time where people need to be trained. You know, the next generation of employees are entering a workforce where the jobs that they are being trained for in college right now will be different or displaced entirely by the time they get there. And it's going to fall on all of us as thought leaders, training companies, um, learning departments at at a large corporation. It's going to be our responsibility to have the onboarding program and the uh, the skills development programs to help the next generation learn the right things. And 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 a lot of it is around soft skills that everyone was so focused on hard skills development. Now it's creativity, collaboration, leadership, communication, things that really a robot can't do very well. Artificial intelligence mm. isn't designed for those things. And so that's, what we want to look at and say, okay, we're in this time where it's really cost-effective and easy to capture great knowledge and share it. And we have a challenge ahead of us where the next generation workforce needs a lot of um, skills development in new and different ways very quickly. And so it's a matter of kind of figuring out the solution there. How do we bring those two pieces together? And I think it's an exciting time for, for all those reasons. Mm. And it's, I feel it's those who are ready to see the opportunity that are going to be able to take advantage of it. Those that are, oh my God, you know, the, everything's changed. What am I going to do? I think people that have that mindset and that attitude are going to be left behind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're waiting for someone else to show you the path, (laughs) I I think that's going to end up being a a challenge too. And, and so I, I thought, you know, even before all of this, I had an employee who started working for me and, and she was right out of college. And I said, you know, I know that, the, you know, my generation was very focused on what's your title? What's my my salary? Um, how do I keep moving up the food chain in corporate America? And this generation now 
is focused on so many more things than just financial compensation. And so mm. when I, when she started with me, I said, you know, what is it that you want to get out of your job? Of course, you want to, you know, move up the, the food chain and make more money. But what is, he, what is it that you really want? She said, and now this is a 22-year-old 20, kid right out of college. She said, I want to be known as an expert in my field. And I said, oh, what's your field? And she said, I don't know yet, but when I figure it out, <laughs> I want to be known <laughs> as an expert in my field. And I said, wow, that's, you know, it's a, this next generation is really, I mean, it's really intriguing the way that they're so focused on personal development, their own career path. It's not like they are coming into workforce and saying, well, I'm just going to punch the clock, do my job and, and move up the career path that you designed for me. They mm. all want to kind of grab from the different places they work and weave their own unique career journey or career path. And along the way, I, I, and I think LinkedIn is a really interesting thing to look at now because their LinkedIn profile is the new generation resume and, and they want endorsements, and skill sets are, you know, earned there. They want recommendations. And that's that living, breathing career path that they're showcasing for the world. And, and so I really took that to heart. And I, I do it with all our employees now just saying, hey, what do you really want to get? Where do you want to be five years from now? And I know full well when I ask that question that five years from now in their mind might not be with my company. They might outgrow the, the career path we have available, or they may want to move somewhere else or do something different. And I think for employers, you want to be very open to saying, Hey, I'm going to develop you and put everything into you being the best individual and the best employee representative of our company. And, it, and by doing that, I'm taking that risk that I may do such a good job developing you that you're going to go find you a better position them. somewhere else. Yeah. And that's part of it. <laughs> and, and I think from an abundance perspective, sort of starting to bring this to land and giving people something to, to have as, as takeaways from an abundance perspective, looking at what can I pour into my employees so that they add the most into my business, but what can I pour into my employees so that they're the best humans that they can be not trying to hold on to them but just pouring into them from a place of abundance i think is really one of the ways that you can embody abundance like abundance like really truly embody it and by doing so actually start to call more of it into your experience because that mindset that attitude will be honored you're probably going to find that staff turnover drops when people are seeing that hang on, I'm in a place where I'm respected, I'm honored. People care about what my, my aspirations are. They care about me being the best version of myself and they're investing in me. And then what they're going to be able to put into your business, even if there is a, still a higher turnover, what they're going to put into your business being better quality people is just going to be better in terms of returns. I think you're going to get a really good return on investment by investing in your employees in that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. And, and conscious capitalism has been around for a while. And there's some companies that are really great examples of it, uh, you know, over over time. And, and, but now it's, it's kind of caught on to the mainstream. That was something that conscious capitalism, when everyone talked about it, was something that really big, successful companies could do investing in your employees, just so much that they become 
the best representatives of your your brand. They take better care of the customers. The customers have a better experience. And then that feeds back to just overall it being a, a better organization and, and a more successful one. And, and I think I remember hearing people talk about this big companies was like Whole Foods and, and really large organizations that could afford to think that way. And then you fast forward to today and you think, you know, that's not just a, a wealthy company's mission. That could be any company's mission that mm. investing in your employees, personal career path, making sure you know what those personal development goals are for them and, and, and doing what you can to keep moving them in that direction, whether it's getting them um, extra education, whether it's at your company or outside through, you know, a third party service or helping them get certified in areas that's going to move them ahead in their career and, you know, allowing them to have some, some feedback some participation in that career path. I think when I got started and, and I think a lot of your listeners probably too, who've been working for a long time, you always expected your employee to lay that, that path for you. And now you want to have that two way communication with an employee and say, Hey, let's make this, you know, custom to you so that you get the education you need, you get the opportunities that you really want. And by, by that, you know, occurring, the business is going to do better that you're going to, even when employees leave, they refer other people to the company that helped develop them. They always have, Mm -hmm. you know, they always have a good relationship with you. Sometimes they even come back to your company. And so I think that's, that's part of it. It's, it's really investing in people and, and like you said, this is so much more than just skills that help the business. You know, there's the hard skills and of course the soft skills, but then there's so much more content that people need to learn now. And, and I love to see a real interest in diversity and inclusion training, which was not any even a need or sexual harassment and anti-discrimination. These weren't even things that were expected to be included in, in your learning path. And now it's available. Every company can cost effectively add that to their path. And then we can kind of take that role of saying, hey, not only are we making them better, better uh, employees and better representatives with their customers, but are we even able as companies today able to make them better individuals in their community and better, you know, better members of our society? And I think that kind of goes hand in hand, I think, where we're at today uh, globally in all our societies around the world. That's a responsibility of, of corporations that we got to do what we can to help make everybody better, even if it doesn't add to the bottom line of the company. Amazing, because at the end of the day, the, the direct bottom line addition might not be there. But like you said, these people that we're investing in are actually coming back and saying, hey, I, I worked with this great company before you should check them out. They're referring high quality employees who may be able to, to do that. They're saying they, they're going into a new company and actually using the relationship back with their old place where they work to actually recommend them as a good place to do business with too. So I think, again, coming back to this whole thing of having more of an abundant perspective and an abundant mindset, when you're looking at the return, it may not be direct and it may not be immediate, but it will definitely be there. 
Yeah, I, I always believe that. And I, I will tell you, I've got employees who worked for me for a long time, went somewhere else, and we end up doing partnerships with their new company and we do joint business. And and that's because, I, you know, the, it's very rare if someone, you know, and you always hear people say this, you spend a lot of time hiring because if you hire the right people and you, you put the effort into them and develop them, uh, the right characters are going to be good, good workers long-term. And even if they, mm. they scale out of your company and the opportunities you have available, they never forget that. And, and I think it's, it's important to, to hire the right way and to know mm-hmm. that you're bringing the right characters into your organization. But then once you do have the right characters, you know, if they fail, in their position, it's as much your fault as it is theirs. You know, you selected mm-hmm. them, you put them in that spot, you either did train them or you didn't train them enough. Uh, and and so it's, you know, it's it's our responsibility to make everybody as good as they can be, whatever their, their ceiling is, you're trying to get each individual as close to that as possible. Love it, love it, love it, thank you. For people that want to know more about you, the work that you're doing and how you might even be able to support them in their business or just, you know, to connect and and to maybe network with you. Maybe there's a project that they feel that will, will be a good fit. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, thank you. I, you know, one is, uh, as you know, my podcast show, uh, I'm always very passionate about that. That's Learning Life with John Toda. Uh, you can find mm-hmm. that on any any major podcast channel or just go to learninglifeshow.com. And that's mm-hmm. got some background on me, education resources, the, the content and free courses and things that, that, that I put out there. So learninglifeshow.com, great resource. Check out the show wherever you get podcasts. And then Syntax and Motion is our production company where we help experts, uh, training companies, thought leaders develop their own e-learning content and get it out there to the, the people who need it. And, and that's uh, syntaxproduction.com. Well, we'll definitely put the link to the episode that I have on your podcast in the show notes and give people to do that and all of the links that you mentioned. But guys, do definitely, I mean, like I said, he's just a down-to-earth great guy who's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience and knows what he's doing. Some that you definitely want to have a conversation with and see if there's something that you can do. We'll make sure we pop all of those links in the notes. So again, John, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to share this space and to have this beautiful conversation that I feel is really going to pour into the listeners. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to leave as a final thought? No, I just want to thank you for having me and uh, great to great to meet your audience and uh, good to be with you. So thank you, Dan. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate you. Okay, guys, tune in next week. Do be sure to share this episode with someone that you believe would really get something from it. It will mean the world to us also if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast, especially if it's adding to you. Uh, we'll be here same time next week. Until then, keep dreaming with your eyes open. And remember, you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Beyond Success Podcast. We hope that it has been of service to you. For more information and to stay up to date with the latest from Daniel Mangana, please head over to dreamwithdan.com. We'll see you for the next one.